0: Hello, and welcome to Elevate, the podcast that lifts you up. We're extremely excited to introduce our guest today. She's a current trainee solicitor at a UK top 20 law firm. And with around 6,000 subscribers and followers on both YouTube and Instagram, she provides a candid voice to being a modern young professional. Her
1: content ranges from vlogs and storytimes which provide a more honest look into your commercial law career to more analytical style videos providing advice on the various stages of the law training contract or vacation scheme applications we have with us the amazing simon jeep Coleman.
2: Woo. oh well, thank you welcome. <laughs> that was such a nice introduction <laughs> well
0: thank you so much for um coming on today i think it's a it's it's, it's a really big deal for both of us because we've been oh. following your like journey on instagram and youtube and i i feel like we'll have a bunch of freshers tuning into this podcast so make sure you follow her after this um oh thank you i thought we'd get started um just by first asking you from like your perspective like a general like maybe short overview what your career journey has been since you like started law school and you know just just from there
2: Yeah, sure. So I started law school in 2015. I did a three-year law degree and graduated in 2018. That makes me feel so old, but it's okay. I studied law at the University of Bristol. And I think before then, I always thought throughout school, I want to study law, I want to be a lawyer. But at university, that changed a little bit because I actually realised I didn't enjoy studying law in my first and second year, pretty much. It was very theoretical and very just a bit I just felt like uh, this has no relevance to life as a solicitor or what, I, I, I don't know. It just really put me off a little bit. So I started uh, considering other career options like tax. Uh, most of my friends were econ- economic students or accountant students. Um, so I applied to the EY uh, as a tax advisor as part of their grad scheme. So I did my internship with them and got my grad job offer with them. But then I went into my final year of university at law school. And I realized I actually quite liked law again. I think it's because I picked more practical topics uh, like uh, corporate law and um, no company law, sorry, and corporate law simulation. These are all topics that were quite practical to the life and quite realistic and lended to the life of a a solicitor and what they do. And I guess it it put me back into considering a um, solicitor and being a commercial solicitor as an option. So I applied to PWC for a vacation scheme and got that at the end of my final year. I think it's important to note as well that I had a 2-2 in my first and second year of law school, but I still managed to get a vacation scheme in my final year where they did not have my final year grades. So I think think that's something that a lot of people um, get quite surprised by uh, because there's such an emphasis of getting a 2-1, getting a 2-1. But I got a a 2-1 in my final year and managed to push my grade up. Uh, into a two-one overall, but my first and second year grades weren't uh, weren't the highest. So yeah, I had my vacation scheme at PwC. Um, let's just say that did not go so well, because I was quite immature at that time. And I thought that because I'd had the vacation scheme, then I um, would automatically get the t- training contract, which wasn't the case. So I was rejected. And then I was back at square one, I had that grad job offer from EY and tax. I did that for two weeks, hated it. So I left, became a paralegal for a national firm in Birmingham. So I had to move to a completely new city to do that. Then I applied to training contracts and vacation schemes while paralegaling and managed to secure three training contracts uh, the summer after. Uh, one was uh, via a direct training contract application and two was uh, via a vacation scheme. I then accepted uh, the firm that I'm working at now. And I did my OPC and I'm now in my second seat. My first seat was construction disputes, and my second seat is real estate now.
0: Amazing. Um, I mean, we actually started off this podcast um, a, a bit disillusioned in our first year ourselves. We We had this idea that, you know, students need to hear real stories from people who haven't necessarily always had a linear path I mean it's very easy to step into law school and think oh my god um tomorrow I'll secure this and then day after tomorrow I'm gonna have that job but you know life is life and there's hurdles and obstacles along the way that you have to encounter so thank you so much for being so candid and honest about that and I think it's it's genuinely something that helps us conceptualize how our journey doesn't have to go from one stage to another immediately and you can take your time and think about what options you have at the end Um, which leads us into our second question. Um, So you you didn't like you described you didn't go straight into a conventional legal career because you were testing the waters you were seeing what interested you and you did a vacation scheme but you'd also paralegal before that. Um, So did like did the paralegal experience um, how did the paralegal experience translate into your vacation scheme and did it in any way sort of solidify your interest in commercial law? Because I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to paralegal, but we think that it's a valid, really good opportunity to build up your skills before you actually move into a commercial legal career.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's such a good question as well. And the short answer to that question is yes, paralegal roles and being a paralegal did solidify my decision to pursue commercial law. Uh, As I, as I mentioned at university, I felt uh, like I was only applying for training contracts and vacation schemes because my whole cohort was, and I felt like one thing that universities should do and put more emphasis on, and hopefully they do do this now, is put more emphasis on the fact that there are loads of different other careers available other than just commercial law at university when you study law. But at my university, when I was there, I felt like it was just a massive emphasis on being a commercial, commercial solicitor. And I felt like everyone was just going down that path without actually realizing whether they wanted to do this career or not. So when I graduated, and after I I was rejected from my vacation scheme, which I look back now, and I'm so happy it happened. Because if I was accepted with that uh, training contract, and I did get a training contract at PwC, I don't think I would have paralegaled. And I think I might have started my training contract a bit too early. But to bring it back to your question, when I paralegaled, I think, in my mind, it was kind of opening my eyes out to the fact that I was always I guess considering whether this is the career for me and one thing that I really liked about paralegaling with the, the job that I was at and the firm that I was at was the responsibility I was given so I was responsible for chasing clients up for certain things if I didn't do it no one else did and that was the guess the, the responsibility that I had because no one else had the time or the capacity to keep up with the work and therefore that responsibility was on me and I really liked that I like that challenge that I had I also realized that practicing law and studying law is very very different so I studied insolvency law in my final year of university and did not like the subject at all until a week before my exams where I actually understood what the topic was about I think before then I just found it so difficult and I then my first paralegal role was an insolvency paralegal uh, in that practice area and I was thinking at first oh god I hated insolvency at university how am I going to enjoy this as well but one thing I realised is uh, it's completely different and it's a lot more practical, like I've said. And I, I think one thing I've realised is I'm a very practical learner. I have to be able to do things rather than study things to understand whether I like it or not. So that's why being a paralegal has really helped me. I, I would say, however, becoming a paralegal, and this is one thing that really annoys me about the legal profession right now, is how difficult it's become to be, be a paralegal. And obviously I'm not saying it's impossible, but to ask people of three years, five years experience for an entry level job, it just doesn't make sense to me because I went into my paralegal role with no previous paralegal experience. And I think I did completely fine. You learn on the job. Just like as a trainee solicitor, you aren't expected to know everything and you learn on the job as you go along. And I feel like if a trainee solicitor isn't expected to have kind of like a paralegal experience, albeit it does help, but it's not like a necessity. I don't see why paralegals have that same uh that same thing of you have to have paralegal experience before it just doesn't make sense. Um but yeah I think that's what I'd say it really helps solidify my decision. But if you are someone who's uh like you're you're about to graduate for example and you're finding it difficult to find paralegal roles, um try and maybe look for volunteering opportunities with your Citizens Advice Bureau. And one thing that really helped my applications was joining the pro bono clinic at university. I'm not sure whether King's has a, a law clinic. I'm sure you, you probably do your great university. So um, yeah, I think that's one thing that really helped me my applications, but that's just me rambling on beyond the question.
1: <laughs> yeah. For any of our listeners who aren't aware, we do have a King's like legal clinic. If you are interested, do get involved, but I definitely agree. It has, has become concerning because as you said, the, I feel like the legal degree is so academic that sometimes people yeah. do not get the practical side of it. And paralegally, it would be amazing before people commit themselves to a training contract which is two years of just, if you don't know that you want to do it, it'll just be not yeah. one of the best decisions. But going back to, as you mentioned, you had a vacation scheme with PwC and you mentioned that you became complacent. And I do think it is an important point that sometimes people forget that there is a training contract to get during your vacation scheme. And for any of our listeners, Simranji does have an amazing video on your do's and don'ts on your vacation scheme. So mm-hmm. do check this out. But in hindsight and from your experience, if you could just boil it down to three key points, what would you like, what would your advice be on converting that VAC scheme into a TC?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll give my three points now. I'll try and back them up with evidence or examples of how I, I displayed it. So firstly it's about showing initiative and I think some ways in which I did that for example in my vacation schemes where I was successful in converting it to a training contract offer is you always have to think in your mind how can I make this person's life easier? How can I make my colleagues life easier while I'm in the firm? And one thing that I did was in my final week of my vacation scheme at the firm that I'm training at now I gave a list to HR of every single person that I did work with the type of work that I did and any feedback that I'd received because I basically wanted them to have a full picture of my performance on the vacation scheme and I didn't want them to miss any individual out and also it just made their life a little bit easier as well instead of them having to chase people of who spoke to Simran this week they had a list ready of of, of all the things that I'd done So that's one way in which you can kind of show initiative. And and I think that's something that very, you know, it was a it was a good thing that I did. Secondly, another thing that I did was I showed a real eagerness and keenness to know people in the firm and and put my name out there. Uh, An example of that was I did a vacation scheme at a firm called Fox Williams and. I, albeit I didn't accept my training contract at that firm. I really loved that firm. I think it was so. I love. I still have an image of that firm in my head. Just a special place in my heart. <laughs> I can <laughs> hear the firm. love in your voice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was such a good firm, and the part. Some of the partners were the, the loveliest people ever. But um so in that firm, one how one way in which I showed uh, my ability to get to know people in the firm was every vacation scheme, you are assigned a buddy or a supervisor and that person is the person you go to to ask any question, um, no matter what it is. If you get lost, you can ask that person, etc. So my buddy was called to an urgent court, court hearing in that morning that I was about to start. So he wasn't there and I was basically sat in my office and I thought, okay, well, I've not introduced myself to anyone, but one thing that I could do is I either sit here and wait for people to come to me or I knock on everyone's doors and introduce myself. And that's exactly what I did. I did the latter. I knocked on everyone's doors, including all the partners and said, you know, introduce myself and offered myself to help people out. I also brought around a notebook with me in case anyone gave me work on the spot. I was ready to take that. So, and that came back in my feedback um, in terms of, Uh, you know you you went around everyone's office and and you did that that's quite a brave thing to do and they didn't have anyone else who'd who'd kind of done that because it is quite a daunting thing you you, you're quite young you go into a firm for the first time and there's all these professional corporates around you and you feel like you don't know how to act but um, that was one thing that came back in my feedback as a major positive the third thing that I'd say to stand out on a vacation scheme is to put effort into every single task that you do So sometimes you are given a task by an individual, and they say, "Oh, don't worry about it. It's only fifteen minutes, or I only need, you know, a small amount of it." You know, they'll they'll kind of play down how important it is, and they might be right in that. They might be right in thinking that it's it's really not that important. But as a vacation scheme schemer, vacation scheme student at the at the firm, you are assessed on everything that you do. It's basically like a week or two week long interview. And even those tasks that may appear quite menial and quite, you know, not that important, they are and you should put 100% effort into them and even go beyond what is asked of you. And that's where the initiative part comes in as well. And yeah, I think that's what I say. I mean, an example for that is on my vacation scheme at Fox Williams, we were given a folder. Of tasks to complete, but it wasn't compulsory that we had to complete them. They basically said, "Oh, just have a go at these tasks. If you ever get quiet in your seat, you can um, just do these tasks. So it's not compulsory and just you know fill out what you can. And at the end of the at the end of the week, you can just give it in. And um, I basically took that as I'm just gonna think of it as compulsory and just do every single task. And uh, sometimes it did mean that I had to stay in the firm a little bit later after hours just to complete it. But I'm happy that I did. Um, in my, I, I don't think they mentioned it in feedback, if I'm honest with you, but it might have played a part. I don't know. But I'm just glad for my own sanity that I did that task as best as I could, basically.
0: No, but that's I think that's that's a great, really detailed answer, because I feel like even I'm learning so much <laughs> in this conversation um but honestly like shifting the the conversation a little bit um i i've been an avid follower of like your work everything that you've been doing as well All the, way. I love the Thank fact you. That you like reach out and speak about social issues because i feel like when you have an impressionable audience and i think specifically like law students um, it's really important to, to speak up about what's right and I think create awareness around the things that need to change, not just in the legal profession, but generally about how we learn things, like decolonizing the curriculum, for example. But um, one thing that we really wanted to ask you is, um, after being in the legal profession, going through law school, doing the LBC, like, is there any way you feel DNI still needs to be? mainstreamed in the legal profession like how do you think diversity and inclusion can be valued more than it is today because it can sometimes feel like it's just a token that's there and there's not actually that that spirit of inclusivity and diversity in the legal profession
2: yeah no 100 i i agree with you um, regarding tokenism i think some firms sometimes have it written on their website of we are diverse and we are inclusive, but it's just a bunch of words because when you join the firm, everyone either looks the same or they don't treat you as an equal. And um, I think a lot of firms are putting a lot of emphasis on increasing the diversity in firms there are certain firms out there that are doing great measures towards that and I think we have made great progress especially in the last year or so I think the conversation has really opened up and I think one thing that I really like about our generation I'm not that old I'm just going to say our generation because I'm not that old yet um so one thing about us is I feel like we don't stand for things as much as perhaps the older generation may have or we don't let things slide um Obviously, that's a complete generalization, but that's one thing that I've definitely realized, because I think sometimes the older generation think um, about certain, I don't know, things that happen in the workplace, and they just let it slide because they thought it was normal, whereas people like us were a bit like, no, that's not right, I'm not taking that, and um, I think that's definitely increased, and I think law firms are, are just about catching up with that a little bit, but of course, there's more work that needs to be done. I think there needs to be more of an emphasis on inclusivity as well as diversity, because Everyone, I think, looks at the statistics of a law firm and thinks, oh, that's great. You know, they've got, I don't know, 30 percent of their partners are BAME or whatever. But do those partners actually truly feel valued in the firm? And I think one thing that also really used to annoy me when I was in the process was the term BAME. (laughs) I don't know. It just really annoys me because uh, it just lumps us all into one group and we don't truly know. I think one thing that I just really wanted to know was how many South Asians there were in the firm, how many people were there, there like me. And of course that might sound a bit selfish, but of course everyone, you only, it's not like you care about yourself, but you want to know how many people like yourself are there. And um, yeah, I think that's one thing that really annoyed me in the process. And hopefully firms are taking a bit of a stand towards, um, towards, you know, changing that. I did a podcast, a little, I guess, interview with a firm, about the use of the term BAME and it it just shows that law firms are taking the step to open up the conversation about that but I feel like sometimes the legal profession compared to other professions is falling a little bit behind um sometimes I hear about stories from the big four for example where they've done quite a few steps in terms of inclusivity and um you sometimes think oh why haven't law firms done that yet but um yeah, I think that's what I would say on the topic. I mean, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, of course. I think we are need to be positive. We are making a lot of great steps. But I think another thing that law firms need to do in order to really, truly value DNI and in, in firms is actually understanding and trying to incorporate it within the business model, perhaps. And I don't know whether that sounds too uh, controversial, but one thing I've realized is when you're working in a law firm, you... Have such limited time to do things that things like CSR and socials and DNI sometimes falls to the wayside. So if there was a way of incorporating those things, I know some firms actually already do this, but incorporating those things into your billable targets, I think that kind of in, in ensures that people don't feel like they're slipping on their targets by focusing on things that are important to them. So I think that's one thing that I'd, I'd say about that.
1: No, that's amazing. I genuinely never thought about it from that perspective, but I definitely agree, especially from the inclusivity point, because the firm will be like, we're so diverse. But when you look at the retention rate of the yeah. diverse cohort, and then you look at what the partners look like, you start to play the little doubts start playing in your mind. But yeah, it's just so amazing that you speak up about it and you have such a like good platform and you also mentor students through your legal platform and we were just wondering what advice would you give to commercial legal aspirants especially if they're from a dni background because not dni but like diverse background because yeah. i know sometimes that can be a hindrance to some people and i think individuals like yourself are just evidence that legal career is open up to anyone
2: Yeah, I think I get a lot of questions from individuals asking me, can I be a commercial solicitor if I'm this ethnicity or this one from this country or from this background? And I think one thing that I'd like to say is if you're going to let the colour of your skin or your background or where you're from hinder your career and what you want to do, you've let the oppressors win, if that makes sense. And I think that's one way I guess I I try and, and frame it, because at the end of the day, if you work in my opinion if you if you work hard towards something and you 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 genuinely want something it will it will happen in some way or another it will manifest in some kind of way but it may not be in a year it may not be in two years it may take years it may take you know tomorrow I think you've just got to have faith and you've got to really I guess one thing that I did was I you know at university I felt really different compared to everyone else I was I went to a school where everyone looked like me because it was just the area and everyone basically Asian invasion everyone just lived around that area whereas when I went to university it was uh, I was massively in the minority massively I think I was the only Sikh individual um, sometimes in class or law lectures which is just crazy to me and i did let that hinder me i I let that hinder me to the point where i never went to networking events i i i avoided my law law cohort actively because i felt so inferior and when i graduated that put me at a significant disadvantage because i didn't have those connections i don't have any connections from university and I, i just wish if when i went back in time that i didn't let that hinder my potential. And I didn't let that feeling of being intimidated by other people who were different to me, um, let that be a hindrance. And that's something that I just live by to this day. I, I you know, I understand that I'm Sikh, I'm Punjabi, my parents from India, for example, but that's something that I'm proud of. It's not something that I, I use as a, a thing to make me feel inferior, if that makes sense. So that's the way I tackle it personally.
0: No, I think I think it's definitely something that I resonate with at some level as well. Because, you know, when when you do come from a different ethnic background, sometimes I mean people also unintentionally, they're just microaggressions that exist just because society is. Yeah. And I feel like it's really important for people to, and I mean, commercial legal aspirants to know that when you're breaking into the sphere of commercial law, sometimes. It's unfortunate that it has to be like that, but sometimes you need to have that thick skin so that as soon as you enter that situation or that workplace, you actually can step in and and work on changing those attitudes, because sometimes it does take someone to come in and say, these microaggressions are not okay, and this is how we need to go about changing them, and I, I definitely think it's a slow process to start feeling like you're in place when you're in a classroom and you can't see someone who you feel like looks like you or you can relate to. So I, I definitely think that, that that's something that is really important. But I think as we sort of draw to a close, um, I know that there will be a bunch of freshers because we've we've had so many eager freshers come back on campus and it's so nice to have them like tuning into all these events, but I'm acutely aware of when this podcast comes out, a few of them will be listening in. So are there any pearls of wisdom like all things aside that you would want to share with with freshers that are like dealing with the onslaught of oh this is this law firm and that's the magic circle and that's that like um as someone who's been through the process and then we'll hopefully ask you a nice fun question at the end
2: yeah sure um I would say in first year everyone's winging it everyone is winging it your law society present the person in your lecture who knows it all they are all winging it Everyone's winging it. No one knows what they're doing. And, uh, I think if I knew that when I was going to my first year, it would have just put me so much at ease because I think a lot of freshers, you, hopefully you, you relate to this as well. You just get those individuals who just know everything and they just they just have all the you know, they know what firms to apply to. They, they get all the open days, all the networking events. You see them at every single thing. And I think it's important to not get intimidated and compare yourselves to those individuals. It's very easy to compare. It's very, very easy to compare, but the moment you slip into constant comparison, it, it really, I guess, hinders your own progress and the own pace of for you to do your, like do what you want to do at your own pace. So yeah, that's what I would say essentially. It's, it's a really kind of overwhelming process. What I'd say is try and use your first year as a moment to just settle into university. Settle into, you know, finding a a revision technique that works for you for exams. Settle into finding out about law firms. Definitely put yourself out there and, you know, try as best as you can to attend networking events, open days. Um, Go and see your tutors as well when you want feedback from your exams or mock exams or any kind of workshop tasks that you do. I think keeping your tutors close is a really important thing to do. And I wish I did that more when I was at university. And yeah, I think that's what I would say. Gosh, thank you, thank you for these
1: fills of wisdom. Honestly, I feel kind of bad asking this next question, but no, it's fine. Basically, we like to end our podcast on a fun note because commercial law can be and law yeah, can be quite vexing. So, if you were a burger, what part of the burger would you be and why? And this is a very Ooh, crucial question. That's
2: a really good question. You know what? I would be the caramelized onions because when you have caramelized onions in a burger everyone talks about you know the meat you know being the main star of the show I think the caramelized onions are the things that really kind of tie it all together because without that it would just be a simple burger but getting the 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 onions just about fried to the exact like like fried just right not too much oil but not too little either just to the right crunchiness but not too soft and not too hot It's, it's very important And I think that lends on quite well to like how I try and like, even like my musical things, I I play the drums, for example, and that's not really kind of the star of the show, but you need the drums to be there to accompany the rest of the music, to accompany the beat. That's how I think onions are in burgers. So that's, that's what I would be. I
1: think the onions elevate the burger just from a burger to something more,
2: something special. It's that extra, it's that extra thing that you just need. You didn't ask for, but you need it. Exactly. (laughs)
1: No, it's I've,
0: the chef's kiss, you know. The chef's
2: yes. kiss. <laughs>
0: um, oh. but no it's 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 been really um wonderful speaking to you and I think this has been an enlightening conversation I hope not just for the people that are tuning in today but also for us as we record this um and really thank you so much for for just coming on no worries. And, um, yeah it's just it's just been amazing and oh no worries. That- My
2: firm is actually really near to Kate. I think it's near KCL. Are you? Are you all near the Shard? No. Uh, that guy's campus. That's oh, camp- oh, that's the medical people. Oh, I see. I see. My brother was there for a year. That's why I think Kings is there because he was yeah. like studying there for a year. Okay, fair. <laughs> okay, I'm not near you guys then. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anyways. Oh there could be some
2: non-law medicine
1: who want to be lawyers you never know
0: yeah exactly exactly someone tuning into this podcast could be studying at guys campus so full disclosure someone could be close to you (laughs) um but anyways thank you so much for tuning into episode two of elevate and we hope all our listeners enjoyed this and stay tuned for more